Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast from the Blue Earth Summit, a movement and community driving positive action for our natural world. In this series, we'll bring you some of the highlight talks and conversations from our first summit in Bristol in October 2021. In this episode, the power of self-belief and overcoming fear of failure. Embarking on a polar expedition isn't exactly a walk in the park. For explorer Rosie Stancer, it's more than travel, it's a mindset. In 2007, she journeyed alone over the surface of the frozen Arctic Ocean for 84 days, travelling further than any previous attempt by women to reach the North Pole solo. She battled conditions now recognised as the worst on record, resulting in frostbite and gangrene in her first week, and that led her to amputate two of her toes with her Leatherman just so she could continue, for over another 400 nautical miles. It's no wonder then that Rosie started to truly appreciate the power of the mind, a message that she intends to spread when speaking about the environment. The fear of failure looms large for most of us one way or another, but to create change, Rosie knows the importance of the bigger picture and reaching your end goal. Our planet is a fragile entity, and with rising temperatures and devastation of landscapes, the world will continue to struggle. Yet, all of this can be changed, as Rosie believes, through the hands of people. This is a jaw-droppingly inspiring talk which paints both a beautiful and fragmented picture of planet Earth. So grab your boots and join her on this thought-provoking adventure. Apsley Cherry Garrard, explorer, zoologist and author. And he said, if you want to find me a good polar traveller, get me somebody with good enough physical tone, sufficient muscle, and let his mind be on wires of steel. And if you can't have both, sacrifice physique and bank on will. I couldn't agree more. For out of all the different expeditions I've done, even the most physically arduous ones, one always ultimately seems to fall back on your biggest strength. And it's not physical, it's mental. It's the same as in every walk of life and different challenges. The strength lies not in your biceps, but in your heart and in your mind. And sometimes your greatest challenges are going to be mind ones, mental ones, and they can rear up long before you've even started a challenge. This is one of my favorite expedition photographs. Not one of those Harrison Ford moments on the ice or in the desert, but on the eve of departure before an expedition. It was the eve of my departure on my North Pole solo expedition. This photograph, taken by the world's leading, as far as I'm concerned, expedition photographer, Martin Hartley, captivates the moment perfectly. I think we've all been there in different situations. It's just that freeze-frame moment before you throw yourself into 
a big challenge. There's a stillness, but there's an intensity in this picture. I might look calm and contemplative, but trust me, underneath, I'm paddling furiously. I am trying to push back all the fears that are bubbling up underneath. They've got time to bubble up now between all the cracks because all the whirl of the preparations, the logistics, even the team around me, they've all disappeared. Those fears are seeping through the cracks. And I'm trying to push them back. But what are these fears that at this crucial moment could threaten even the entire expedition. I've got to fight through them. Well, it's the same in every expedition I've done this moment, and this particular one, or any other one, it's never the physical perils. It's not that. It's not the isolation. It's not the hardship that I know lies ahead. It's It's me, it's in here. It's, it's worrying about making a complete fool of myself. It's fear of failure. And after all, there's an awful lot invested in your imminent expedition. It's not just all about you. You've got a whole team behind you, supporters, family, sponsors. You've also invested a lot of your own time, the grubby old fundraising, the logistics, and also some pretty tough training. I'm showing you this because, although it's a bit, bit showy-offy, it also clearly demonstrates the power of the mind. Because actual fact, if you asked me to do something like this right now, I couldn't begin to do it. But at that particular point in time of my training, I had a very clear goal in mind. And I was thinking, I'm going to get to that goal. And now for the first time, I've seen this picture on a big screen, and I can actually see that my coach is standing behind it, probably giving it a little bit of a helpful push as well. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't quite as impressive as I thought. But nevertheless, It's a heavy weight to pull after all those, in many instances for me, two years of preparation, and then ultimately talking of weight. You too have to put on your 10 to 15 kilos to give you the, the leverage and the protection. And you end up sitting on that barrel at that last moment, just feeling fit, fat, and frightened. And you're frightened also of what lies ahead the unknown, in a word. And if there's one thing you can expect on an expedition, particularly in this instance on the Arctic, it is the unexpected. For all the training in the world, there's not a lot you can do about that, except be strong in your heart and your mind and very clear about your end goal end goal. My biggest challenge, or one of the biggest challenges on this particular expedition, actually came right at the beginning, very early on. 
I hadn't been on the Arctic for 10 years, and I was really shocked by the difference. It was like being on a different planet to before. It had become much more violent, noisy, dangerous, and the, the climate was all over the place. When I set off, it had unprecedented temperatures of right down in the minus 60s. And no amount of Gucci kit can protect you in that. And, as briefly touched upon already, I got frostbite in my foot, followed by gangrene. Gangrene was spreading. Fortunately, I had antibiotics, and we all know what happened after that. Nevertheless, I was offered the opportunity of evacuating. And I said no, and I continued. And I continued for over 80 days without these toes, etc. Now, that was absolutely, honestly, nothing to do with heroics. That was because it all happened on day three. And I was just in that British way, too embarrassed about pulling out in front of my sponsors and all my supporters. So, <laughs> ironically, in a way, that fear of failure did actually keep me going. And it kept me going right up to the end, which was a heartbreakingly close finishing line to the, south, to the North Pole before I was evacuated because the ice was packing up. And that was another possibly ultimate hardest test I had on, I think, any expedition. Because after 84 days in total of being on my own on the Arctic ice cap and after all that I'd gone through, I didn't make it to the dot on the map. But very soon, I recognized that there was a great zestful appetite for finding out about what I experienced it was all about the journey, because I'd been there before, so there was all the comparisons. The people wanted to learn about what was happening to the environment, particularly up in the Arctic, which was the most visible measuring stick of global climate warning. So it kind of made me reassess what failure is all about. This is me looking 150 years old when I was, I was picked up. That's how much it devastated me. But it wasn't long after this flight back that I was asked about what I'd learned on the expedition by scientists and so on and so forth. And the other day, listening to the news, and I don't know if any of you follow the tennis, but there's this astonishing 18-year-old called Emma, and I'll mispronounce the name, but Radu Kanu, who won the American Opens, only to be totally thrashed at the next Opens within a week. But her whole mindset about this was remarkable. She had so much belief in herself and abilities. And she said, I've got to be thankful for this because I'm going to bank it as experience and keep going forward. One has got to look at the bigger picture. And in fact, I thought she's right. And we all have to look at the bigger picture and stop looking in, all our fears are inward looking about ourselves and potential failure, etc., etc., and begin to look outward more in all that we do 
outward in the sense of our environment and our conscience about what we're doing, the implications, and our legacies that we're going to actually forge. So ever since that expedition, my own compass has been swinging far more towards environmentally-minded expeditions. And the needle has actually swung in more recently, less than a month ago, from the north and the south ice to Kazakhstan, the world's newest desert, the Aral Kum. The Aral was once a sea, a bountiful sea. Now, as in the word Kum, which translates as desert. But this hasn't happened wholly because of global climate changes. This is by the hand of man. The photograph on the left-hand side was taken in the 60s, 70s, because in the late 50s, very quietly, the Russians started draining the sea to nourish the cotton harvests. By the 60s, they thought, nobody's looking, and they just pulled the plug. And by the late 80s, the 90s, there was 10% left of the sea. The impact was disastrous. This is what the seabed was. It is now littered with dead livestock. There's, there was no fish. Imagine what it did to the communities, deprived of their main livelihood, and also very sick, because the climate changed into a desert climate. Extreme summers, extreme winters, and more frequent dust storms. Now, these dust storms pick up all the toxins, i.e., the pesticides and the herbicides from the cotton. They pick them up and they take them as far as, and traces have been found, Scandinavia, the Arctic, and even Antarctica. So this is a global issue. So I wanted to go and find out about it close up, firsthand, myself taking with me a teammate, an old polar teammate, called Pom Oliver. We would pull our own expedition carts across 600 kilometers of the seabed. And it was not to be, and wasn't, a finger-wagging exercise in, oh, look what the Russians have done and all the rest, because actually, at the end of the day, who's demanding all this cotton? It's fashion, it's fast fashion, it's you, it's me, it's what we want, and we want it now. So we were there to find out what measures were being taken to remedy this and their efficacy. Over the seabed, we went from the steps, salt pans, scrub, sand. Our way was strewn with dead carcasses. And here, in case anyone picks up, um, I am with a rucksack, not with an expedition cart, because, interestingly, early on in the expedition, 
both Palm and myself became so ill with the toxicity of the atmosphere that Palm had to be evacuated for 10 days and I had to continue on my own with a rucksack. It was like going through a dead sea because everywhere the carcasses, carcasses, if you wish, of the old fishing vessels, many of them you couldn't see the shoreline from at all. It was shocking and it really rocked us and it was such a grim, ugly, sturging contrast to the savage beauty of the ice. And we talked to the locals about it and I was very impressed by how proud they were, how positive they were, how they believed that they could make good out of this. And there was, there was a good whiff of optimism because there is this effort to make good the disaster. There are dams being built. There is a big dam called the Cockerell. They're going to build an extension. They're planting saxophone trees. People are coming back into the communities. So there is hope to this place which has now become recognized as the world's worst man-made environmental disaster. The water is beginning to return to the northern part in Kazakhstan, not in the southern part of Uzbekistan. But what is needed here is teammanship with all the countries that surround the area, holding hands, not fighting each other's corners, but to, to make it together in funding and government control to restore this sea. And it is beginning to happen. Because if there is one thing that this expedition, this last expedition, has taught me, it's about our responsibility. And an expedition like this might not have the same allure and daring do as all the polar stuff, but I have a feeling that it's the most important and valuable expedition I've undertaken to date because of the message about it being up to us individuals. It's not just up to the governments and the top-level decision-makers. It's for us as well, because we make a difference. It's like every single little footstep in a very long expedition. You will get there eventually. And at the end of the day, we need to stop worrying about our fear of self-failure and what we're all about and look outwards. Our fear should now be about failing our planet. Thank you very much. We hope that conversation's inspired you and given you some proper, actionable insight. Please look out for the next episode, and if you haven't signed up for the film versions, please visit the Blue Earth website at blueearthsummit.com. Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.